I want to just first off just mention very briefly how I met Jesus. I was 18 years old. I grew up in a, in a secular Jewish family. Uh, if anybody grew up around Jewish people, you know, there are those who practice and those who don't. We were the PHO, Passover, Hanukkah only Jews, okay? And uh, secular means that we ate, you know, bacon and shrimp and we just, uh, you know, it was great growing up that way. It's, uh, it was awesome. So, um, and we ate real bacon, by the way. We didn't eat fake bacon. That's turkey bacon. That's fake. It's phony. It's not right. That's not bacon. All right, just want to kind of get the truth out before we get going here. Um, so I'd never heard about Jesus, never, you know, never, no one had ever really introduced Jesus to me in a real way, in a serious way. My family used his name when somebody stubbed their toe or something like that. It was always Jesus Christ. And I didn't never know who that was, but it was interesting. It was always Jesus Christ. It was never like 50 Cent or Kardashian. It was always Jesus Christ. And so I knew there was something about that name, but I wasn't quite sure. The Baptist lady up the street, she reminded me of the Saturday Night Live uh, church lady. And she gave me a Bible when I was 15. So I took the Bible and I did what any other 15-year-old would do who didn't know God or have an interest in God, and I stuck it in my closet. But then something happened when I was going off to college. My mother ran outside with the Bible. She said, you may want this for college. I said, yeah, you never know, literature class or something like that. (laughs) Took the Bible, got into my dorm room, checked in, and my roommate, who was a friend of mine, good friend in high school, he didn't show up for days so every night I would read the Bible. Now, opening up was a, an experience because I opened it up and a nice letter fell out. This is three years prior. A letter fell out from that nice, sweet Baptist lady up the street. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that she liked me and she prayed for me and all that. Whatever that is, that's cool. And um, I didn't know that. And then a $5 bill fell out and I began to flip through the more pages to see if maybe a 20 or 50 would fall out. And then I thought, well, it's not falling out. Maybe I'll read something here. And I started looking at these book titles like Job. I thought, I don't need a job. Or, and the uh, Psalms and Psalms, whatever that is. But I found my brother's name, Mark, in there. And by the fifth night of in that dorm room alone, by the fifth night reading about Jesus multiplying loaves and fishes, I said, all right, that's it. He fed 5,000 with like three fish and five loaves. He fed 5,000 men not counting the women and the children, and there were leftovers after he fed them. I said, whoever you are, I got to know you. And I got born again in my dorm room with basically very little introduction of who Christ is. And that was the radical moment of my life that changed everything. So tonight, I want to just go to Acts chapter 8, verse 26. We'll start there. We've got a few scriptures to get through tonight. But I really want to encourage each and every one of you guys tonight uh, as you are indeed on the road to greatness. Everyone in this room, that's what God wants you to know. You are on the road to greatness. Acts 8, 26 says, An angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, and he said, Get up and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to the desert Gaza. Um, now the background here, it's very simple. This guy named Philip was a deacon, one of the first deacons in the church of Jerusalem. And in the church of Jerusalem, when God poured out his Holy spirit, Jesus said to the disciples who were there, when this spirit comes on you, I want you to be my witnesses 
to Jerusalem and Judea, which Jerusalem is a part of. It's like the, the suburbia part of Jerusalem, if you will. And then he said, go to Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. But you know what happened after years of having this new life and this big giant party and fellowship and eating together and all that? It says, the Bible says that they basically never left Jerusalem. So they stayed there. Then something happened in this chapter, verse 1. It says that there arose a great persecution in Jerusalem against the church, and then they were scattered. So you can go out and serve God one of two ways, either because the Holy Spirit comes on you and he encourages you to go, or a persecution or something will come in your life, and then you will have to go. How about let's go with plan A, right? So, But plan B was that God got these people out, And Philip and others went down to Samaria and they began to talk about Jesus to the Samaritans. No one wanted to go to the Samaritans. They were half-breeds. They were half-Jew, half-Gentile. You remember the story of Jesus, his followers, they were shocked that Jesus would talk to a woman and then much less a Samaritan woman. And the Jews were like, stay away from me. They wrote a song called, Samaritan woman, stay away from me. That was their song. They wrote that. But Philip broke the code like Jesus did, and he went down and he began to preach the gospel. Now, Philip was a really a busy guy. He had this great revival there. He was busy serving God, and he was a pretty, he was an ordinary guy. He was an ordinary, just a plain, kind of a busy, blue-collar kind of guy, a dude in the church who just got busy with God. And he reminds me of this statement, and I'm not even sure where I heard this. It's God doesn't call the equip. He equips the called. And the first thing that I I really want to say is that it's really a good thing to be busy. God chooses busy people. He chooses active people. He chooses motivated people. He chooses people that are at least trying. Uh, Somebody told me the other day that Kanye was complaining that he lost $50 $50 million, $50 million in debt. And, you know, I don't feel sorry for him, but here's what I say instead of people criticizing, praise God, he's trying. You ever thought about that? I love people who are trying and failing. At least they're doing something. I mean that. And so, you know, a lot of people today are worried about, you know, they're stuck in life. They, they wonder about, you know, what is my personality type? What's my gift? What's my grace? What am I supposed to be doing? And they kind of get stuck in that. And it says in verse 27 that when Philip got this call from the angel to go south down this desert road, it says he got up and he went in verse 27. He got up and he went. He's trying. He's moving. He's following. He, it it goes on and it says that, that there was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge in, uh, of, the, uh, of her entire treasury. He'd come to worship in Jerusalem, was sitting in his chariot on his way home, and he was reading out of the book of Isaiah out loud. You know, if you're going to be on the road to greatness, the first thing is you really need to start doing something. Now, I know that's random, that's generic. A lot of people say, no, don't do that, wait, and all that. But there is something to be said for people who are moving and doing and these disciples who are trying. And you know what? You can't steer a parked car, but if it's moving, it can always be steered. 
So as a young person, don't be afraid of making mistakes. Don't be afraid. The average college student today is in college for six years. I say, great, congratulations for making it to six years. It's okay. I think of my own story. I was in uh, two different universities, and I had a gap year before I really got a, a clarion clear call from the Lord that I needed to transfer and go to UNC Chapel Hill. I was at an Urbana conference during my gap year, uh, this InterVarsity Urbana conference, and I was listening to a man, I don't know if you remember this guy, but his name was Billy Graham. Okay, just wanted to see, all right. Billy Graham was the keynote speaker, and when he was speaking, it was as if I was, uh, someone grabbed me by the face, pulled me close, I watched the whole screen. I don't remember anything he said, but all I remember getting out of his message is, son, you're going to go and transfer to UNC Chapel Hill, and I'm going to show you a revival on that campus. That's all I remember from the message. And, and, you know, but a lot of times you can't get a word like that or clear direction like that unless you're doing something. I was going, I was trying, I was doing, and I think this is part of our road to greatness. Now, the second point in being on the road to greatness is the road of greatness is filled with many potholes and occasional detours. That's my story. Uh, potholes, a lot of them. Uh, detours, quite a few of them. You know, I know that when I first started following Jesus, I began to pray for sick people. And I know that several of them died. <laughs> That's how effective I was. Uh, that's called a pothole. But you know what? If you stay in there long enough, you pray for enough people, just even if it's not God, even if it's just random odds, somebody's going to get healed. I know it upsets the real religious people in this room, but I'm just kind of breaking it down into the rest of us, our kind of language, just raw statistics, everybody. Somebody's going to get healed and you'll feel better about yourself. So a lot of people died when I prayed for them early on. But I stayed at it. Now, I started sharing about Jesus with other people, too. One of the first people I shared Jesus with, the person listened to me intently for about five minutes, and I thought, I got her. She's ready. And then she whipped the right hand around me, and she dropped three fingers and left one straight up in my face. I promise you that's what happened. And then she began to talk to me a little bit, say some things. Um, this road that that Philip was on. This road was a desert road. I don't know how many of you can relate with that, but a lot of roads that we walk on are assigned to us by God and they're not glamorous. They're not cool. They're not fun. There's not a lot of bands up here. There's not a lot of singers. There's no, uh, I, I'm sure, I'm sure this is a Hammond right here. There's not a Hammond in the house. There's not cheerleaders. There's not pom-poms. There's not, there's not nice bottles of water to be greeting you on the way. There is a desert road that often God assigns us to. And in that desert road, if we'll stay to it, we'll see what God is up to if we'll just stay on it, on that road and be obedient. Following Jesus and being on the road to greatness is a discovery and it's a journey. It's a process. I want to encourage the misfits and the failures in life. I am one of them. I am one of you. I'm your kind of guy. And I want to just tell you, it's okay. Now, a lot of times 
on that ugly road, God will bring us little things to sort of encourage us. And as I was on my ugly road, one of the things that happened to me was that um, uh, a United Methodist Church pastor found out that here's a young kid who actually met Jesus and he believes the Bible is the word of God. He wasn't used to that for some reason in his particular church or that part of that region of his denomination. And he was excited and he wanted me to come work with him. So he said, I've arranged for you to be able to go into the ministry. I'm going to give you a full scholarship to seminary. I'm going to buy you a car and get you, make sure that you are lined up with a part-time job. I want to tell you, this young, broke Jewish kid from the South could not have been more happy or more excited. How many know the Lord is in that word? Amen. God was just taking care of business. And yet something happened. I hit a pothole. And what happened was I was having a sandwich innocently in the pit at UNC Chapel Hill, and as I was out there eating a sandwich, it was as if a wind came and blew some words right up in my face, and these words came and said this, you're not going to take that offer to seminary. Now, have you ever had a situation, you know it's God, but you hate it? You know, I knew that was God. I knew it, and I guarantee you this, Had I not been obedient to that word, I would have never had the privilege of meeting Pastor Brett Fuller. I would have never started Kings Park International Church. I would have never have gone into New York City. I would have never planted that church. I would have never gone to Beijing or Shanghai or a number of other places. See, God knows what is best for your life. He knows what's best for you. He knows who you are. He knows where to find you. He knows some of you who are even taking a cat nap right now. And you know what? I love you. I know the Holy Spirit is putting a calming spirit on you right now. I know that it's all of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not even worried about it. But in that particular moment, I hit my pothole, and God really began to deal with me about the rest of my life. And he showed me that I'm going to have many paths to walk down, and some of them are not going to be the well-worn path. Some of them are going to be... In the words of the poet Robert Frost, some of those are going to be the road less traveled. Now, don't be afraid of it if that's your path, that's your journey. How many of you are already in a big struggle with your parents over what it is that you're going to do with your life? You know what I'm talking about. That oh so familiar. And I love it when Duke students have their parents pay two or three hundred thousand dollars to educate them for four years of some of the finest education in the South, and they sit down with them and say, I'm going into the ministry. Oh, yeah, that goes really well. (laughs) You're going to have many moments. And one of the things that we all need to recognize is that your future job is not your life. God is your life. If you let him be your life, he will change everything. He will make every provision. He will turn things around. He will hold the sun still. He will open the Red Sea for you. He will open the Jordan River for you. God will move some men. God can move some pretty little person over right into your neighborhood and let you know fully and clearly that she is the one for you. God can do anything. And when he knows you, he's got your back. He's got your front. He's got your side. He's got your spouse. He's got your money. He's got everything you need. But sometimes it's just, it's just messy getting there. 
It's messy getting to greatness. Now, some of you have heard this story that I'll, I'll briefly mention here, but this is like right in the beginning phase of me trying to say, well, Lord, if I'm not going to seminary, how can I be a minister? And God said, I'm not going to give you a pulpit. I'm going to give you a calling. And I began reading my Bible, and it seemed like every time I opened it, it was about somebody going out and preaching to someone. And so God was preparing my heart and just going out and preaching, going out and telling someone about Jesus. So one time I had a little break, and I was going from Chapel Hill to my hometown of Greensboro. And, as I, was, and, and I did what I did a lot of times back then. I would take the bus because you could just sit there and study and read books and stuff like that. It's a one-hour bus ride. And I got into the bus ride five or ten minutes into it, and something began. I began to have this uneasy feeling just down in my soul. And I began to feel like, you're supposed to get up on this bus. You're supposed to talk to people about Jesus. And I'm thinking, there's no way that could possibly be, be God. There's no way. No bus driver on this planet is going to be going 70 miles per hour down Interstate 40 and let some kid get up at the front of the bus and start talking without his seatbelt on and all that stuff. And I just kept having this inner turmoil and this debate. And you begin to debate God. This can't be God. I, I even one time I just said, this is, this is the devil, man. I just rebuke you. Get thee behind me. I, I, I really did. I was just really so confused. And, and just so, and, and I, I had so many times of, of feeling that way and just saying, this can't be God and just shrugging it off. And yet this time I just knew this is, I've got to do it. But then I remember this verse, Romans 13, that says, be subject to governing authorities. I said, yes, I've got my way around this. This bus driver, I will ask him permission because God says, and I said, God, you said to be subject to the authorities. And so I walked up to the bus driver and said, hi, my name is Ron. Uh, I, I'm feeling like God wants me to get up on your bus and, and tell everyone on this bus about Jesus and what he can do in their life. But I know <laughs> that you have a policy against this and you're going to tell me to sit down and shut up, which I want to tell you up front. I'm glad to do that. Just tell me. And he's just driving. All of a sudden, he broke out in this big grin. And I thought it was kind of the big grin laugh that it was kind of like, this kid is sick. He's just not right. And he looked at me. He said, he says, Sonny boy. And he was very from the deep south. He was deep southern. He said, I'm Pentecostal. <laughs> and, and I just want you to know I'm going to be praying for you. That's what he said. And he said, and hold on. He said, here, use the microphone right here. So he handed me the mic. So that was my first gospel message. I was so encouraged that I just said, we're going to start today with Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven minutes or eight minutes later, I was done. I preached everything I knew. I was out. I was just standing there. I thought, okay, what's next? That was all I had. And I said, now, who on this bus wants to give their life to Jesus? And people started raising their hand. I thought, well, all right. And, you know, when I got off the, we, we arrived there, I stood to the, off to the side of the bus because I remember the Methodist pastor doing that for me. He used to stand in the vestibule, and everybody would walk by and hug him and shake his hand on Sunday morning. So I, that's what I just stood up there. Every person came by and hugged me, greeted me, put money in my pocket. Every person was so kind to me that I thought, you know what? This ministry thing can work outside the building. Maybe I don't need a building. Maybe I don't need a pulpit. Maybe I can just 
Start following God. And can I just tell you that the road to greatness will be filled with many potholes and many problems and many detours, but God has a path designed for you. Can I just brag on my Heavenly Father real quickly? Um, let me tell you a story. I was a, uh, uh, three years, I was a little league coach. It was a coach pitch, little league, and I would have these kids get up. And the, the, the little community that I was living in, Cary, North Carolina, they, they assigned all kinds of kids to you. And I had this one little girl that was, um, she was the girl with really thick glasses. I mean, really thick glasses. She was blind. She was legally blind. And, and I put her glasses on one time. I saw Mars. I'm sure I did. <laughs> I, I swear I saw Mars, and uh, they were really thick. And so every time I would, you get three pitches, and if the if the little kid can't hit it after three pitches, you put it on the tee, and then they, you know, and she would wouldn't even hit the ball; she would just hit the the tee part, and then she'd run, and and all the you know moms and dads would be clapping, and 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 I got up. She never hit the ball all year, all season long. At the last game, I went over to the coach. I said, I've got one player on my team. I want to try to do something, but I need your agreement, and I need you to sign off. And I told her, I, I told him, I said, I want to pitch to her as many times as it takes. He said, let's do it. Let's do it. And I tell you, I got up there, and I pitched. And after we got through three, they were wondering, why don't they bring out the tee? And, and, they just, and the, coach, the coach walked out and said, we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going. The coach walked out there. And, and then some of the fans began to pick up on, on, on that side, on, on, on her family side, began to pick up on what was happening. They were cheering her on, cheering her on. Finally, after about number 35, <laughs> call it what you will. But that little girl just, I mean, she jacked one out into the outfield and she got a double and runs began to score. Both of the bleachers began to stand up. People were shouting. People were cheering. People were just so excited. They knew what was happening there. This legally blind girl connected with the ball. She, she, uh, she knocked it. She had two RBIs. She, she got a double. Then she scored. Then she came around and she scored. And then they started cheering for her again. And I just want to tell you that that life like that with a heavenly father like this is that the heavenly father will keep throwing them to you as long as it takes for you to make connection with his will. And when you do, it will be a game changer. And that is the heavenly father who I serve and who we all serve. And he's looking at us and he loves us and he's for us. The road to greatness is really about obedience. That's number three. It's about obedience. Um, it says that he got up and he began, the spirit told him to go up and join that chariot in verse 29. And then it says in verse 30 that Philip ran to it. He ran to it. He just took, he just began running to it and he jumped up in that chariot. He said, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 30, you know, obedience is always about doing what you feel like God, your father, wants you to do. It's always about that. And in that, there's going to be the good stories, but there's going to be also some pain involved. That day on the bus, I had to leave something to cleave to something. I had to leave something behind. That is an image of me that was a wrong image or an incomplete image. My image of me is shy, bashful, fearful, and timid. But God saw somebody different in me, bold, obnoxious at times, outrageous at times, crazy at times. Same with Pastor Brett. He's laughing down here because this is his story too. He and I would both 
would have loved to spend the rest of our lives in our living room with a big flat screen TV and a recliner and our wives just bringing all the food we can possibly eat up to us. It doesn't work that way, though, when you follow God. Life is such a great adventure. There are things that you're going to need to leave. Adam, the first Adam, that is, not Adam Mabry, whom I I saw, but the... (laughs) Yeah, right, not... I'm talking about the Adam in the Bible, though, okay? He's a little bit older than your Adam. Um, That Adam was called of God to leave his family to cleave. And you guys are at this breaking phase right now of your life. You're leaving something to cleave to something. And that's a similar theme all through the Bible. If you're going to go on the road to greatness, you're going to have to leave something behind. There will be something or some things or some ones left behind in your life. For me, it was this traditional route that was being laid out for me. And God said... I've got something better for you. I don't want to give you a pulpit I, I don't, and a ministry. I don't want to give you a ministry. I want you to have a ministry that's going to come out of you. There's something that God puts in you that he wants to come out of you, and he will put you in the right circumstances to get what he's put in you to come out of you. And so Abraham, it says, had to leave his kindred, family, and country to go into the promised land. You know what kindred, family, and country is? It's KFC, kindred, family, and country. Some people do have to leave their KFC to go to their promised land of Bojangles to enter into the greatest blessings of God. See what I'm saying? So, you know, sometimes we get confused. There's this thing that, that, that I've called divine punctuation. Sometimes we confuse God's periods for commas and commas for periods. Like this one. I know I need to break up with my boyfriend, but blah, 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 blah. I think God didn't put a comma there. I think he put a period there. And there are other times when it's, you, you, you feel like it's over, but God puts a comma. And he says, no, I've got another part of your story that we're getting to. And so I want you to see this right here, this ministry that broke out with Philip. He goes up to this chariot and he says, do you understand what you're reading? Verse 31, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And the scripture passage he was reading was this. This is amazing. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb is silent before its shearer. So he does not open his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied. Who will describe his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch replied to Philip and he said, I ask you, who is the prophet Isaiah speaking about himself or another person? And so Philip, how many of you know that's a slow pitch? This, when you meet someone like this and they're reading out of the book of Isaiah, the specific reference to Jesus Christ, Yeshua, That's a slow pitch. You will encounter people by being sensitive, by being on the road to greatness. You're going to encounter many people that are just like this. Matter of fact, I want to say this. There are millions of people in the world today that are just like this man in the chariot. And by the way, in a chariot, you know what a chariot driver, you know what that is? That's a Bentley, all right? There are many people in Bentleys today that they're done. Their little pill box is empty now. It's over. Their, their, their drugs are out. They're partying. They're, they know that there's more. There are people, there are professors today that are waiting for the, you to say, let's have lunch together. 
Let's talk. You, it's, there's, qualification is never intelligence to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. God uses the poor. God uses the unschooled. God uses the untrained. And when God got me started, I didn't know anything. And guess what? I just know a little bit more now than I knew back then. All I am is I'm, I'm, I'm not the equipped. I'm just called of God, and he's going to do the equipping, and he's going to prepare hearts to be ready for this great gospel of Jesus that he's called us to share. This was such a slow pitch. There's so many people, so many stories, so many stories from Joe Marlin up in, at, at New York University. Joe Marlin was this uh, PhD student in class, and he was in class. He was an atheist. He, he, he used to love to read the Richard Dawkins book, Blind uh, Watchmaker, and uh, these books that, that, that Richard Dawkins, and he would love to make fun of Christians and humiliate them. And Joe Marlin was just like that. He went to UCAL Berkeley undergrad, and here he is at NYU. Then all of a sudden, this kid like me who grew up in a Jewish family, out of nowhere, he's in a lecture, in a neurology, neuroscience lecture, and, and, and as he's there, looking at the professor, he blanks out, and he makes a trip to heaven. And in heaven, he hears these words, I am the Lord your God. Now, that's the opening of the Hebrew Shema, which every Jewish kid knows what that is and grew up with that. And in that moment, he began to see people bowing down. He saw all these different images and everything going on. He left that class. He ran home to be with his, his, um, his live-in girlfriend. And he said to her, he explained to her what happened. And both of them said, what do you think we should do? They're looking at each other. And she said, well, I grew up going to church. Maybe we should go to church. And he said, great idea. They went to this first church. It was kind of strange. And the next church they went to was Every Nation, New York City. And they met a man by the name of Pastor Bruce Ho. And they met Pastor Bruce. And Bruce just said, well, just keep coming to church. Maybe you'll learn something. And by about the fourth or fifth Sunday, Joe Marlin receives Jesus Christ into his life. Today, he is his Lord and Savior. And, and Bianca... His girlfriend also received Jesus. We baptized them both. They separated. They lived in two different places. Then they came together and they got married on the shores of Hawaii. And they're serving God. Both have just gotten their PhDs in MD-PhD programs. God is moving with or without us. But sometimes it helps when we just hear who we're supposed to go to and make ourselves available. There are millions of people today. And so this is what you see all through Scripture. And I'll just talk real quickly here as we begin to turn over to the Ethiopian, Ethiopian eunuch here. Being on the road to greatness, there's a fourth point. And that is, on the road to greatness is, means that we're going to engage our world. Not necessarily the world, but our world. Our world. And in this particular thing, you see this guy is reading these these scriptures about Jesus and, 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 and by the way, all scriptures point to Jesus. Don't think, well, I'm a Christian. I only need the new Testament. Can I tell you without the new, you've lost the roots that bring about the new. Uh, I just want to tell you guys who grew up in a Christian family, Jesus was not a Christian. (laughs) He was a Jew. Sorry if that troubles you, but guess what? You have an eternity to get used to it, okay? He'll be there on the throne. He'll welcome you anyway. 
Let me just continue down that road a little bit more since you're not with me. But uh, Gentile people, welcome to our party. Yeah, welcome. You've been grafted in. Paul said, I give you that so you'll humble yourself. All right, that's enough of that. Engaging your world. You're going to be sent into the marketplace, most of you. Majority of you in this room, you're going into the marketplace. You're going to do great. Just Christ in you is the hope of glory. People are going to see that. They're going to say, what is it about you? I don't understand who you are. My wife, Lynette, and I were just in a, in a doctor's office. And within 20 minutes, this, this is a legendary doc. She's in Time Magazine's 100 list of the great ones for her ideas in creative creative ways that she's talking about certain aspects of the body and disease and and different things. Within 20 minutes of being there, it shifted. And instead of her talking to us about things that we're looking at and and dealing with, don't worry, we're fine. We're we're, going to live a long, healthy, happy life. It's not an issue. But instead of that, it's like all of a sudden, it's like God turned it and she became intrigued with who we are. And the next hour was all about us ministering to this Korean-American, amazing, brilliant medical doctor in a world and a league of her own. And the tables turned, and we began to share Jesus with her. And it's almost as if God was calling her back. Now, you're going to have so many moments like that. God is special, specializing in giving you the right gifts to go into the right place at the right time. And I know a lot of us have a real issue with a very dirty four-letter word called wait. But there are times that he will tell you to wait, and the timing isn't always now. But some of you, I've got friends who, like one of my good friends, is a professor at North Carolina State University. He, he, he's a Ph.D. at MIT. He's creating virtual reality for Bible stories. I put on the, the headset. I began to watch David uh, uh, slay Goliath. I began to watch uh, this whale come up behind me and then all of a sudden swallow this man in the sea. Yeah, the Jonah story. And, and, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, who else is doing this right now? He said, we don't know of anyone in the world. I, I said, you mean you're the forerunner to this? He said, I am. I said, brother, I'm going to be praying for you. That's awesome platform that God is giving you. And the list goes on. Some of you are going to specialize in things. Some of you are going to run, do run-of-the-mill kind of stuff. But can I just tell you, your life is not your job. It's going to be okay. Be faithful wherever you are, and God's going to raise you up and promote you. But Philip said, I've got to engage. I, I can't just keep this to myself. So let's look at the rest of this story. 35, verse 35. Say, It says, Philip told him about the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. They were traveling down the road, and then they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's water. What, what would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop. Both Philip and the eunuch, look at this, went down into the water and he baptized him. He didn't sprinkle him. He didn't like little dab do you He immersed him all the way. And then that was it. And, you know, I I see something really great here, a lot of great things here. I see Philip being obedient. I see Philip just answering the questions he's being asked. I see Philip responding. I see Philip using, for some of you who are familiar, the salt 
method right here. And he began to tell him the story. And this was the guy who said, look, I've got to be baptized. Gospel messages begin with Jesus and end with following Jesus. They begin with the amazing work of Christ. And you'll hear more about that in the morning. They begin with the amazing work of Christ, that Christ was God's only son, his uniquely begotten son, who came into this planet, who lived this extraordinary, amazing, awesome life that historians from every walk of life wrote about him and verified that he was indeed this unique rabbi from Nazareth. And he lived this life. Then he died this brutal death that we should have died, but he took our place. He died on our behalf. And then after dying that, three days later, in front of 500 witnesses, he rose from the dead. He rose up victoriously, proving that he was the Son of God and that the Scriptures indeed did speak to this, and they promised us that this would happen to him. And then he says that whoever repents, turns, and believes and receives him can be sons and daughters for an eternity, can belong to God, can be delivered from their sin, can suffer no wrath, can suffer no eternal judgment. We can have the grace of God in our lives. But responding to him is where we're going to end tonight. This Ethiopian eunuch was not satisfied to just hear about it. He said, let's do this. Let's go do this. They went in and they were baptized. Water baptism is not just an option. Water baptism is, is the way you respond to God. I'm going to follow you. Some of you got baptized as an infant. And I say, you've got great parents who want to get you in the faith. That's wonderful. But you have to make the choice, your own choice, to be water baptized and follow Jesus for yourself because God doesn't have grandkids. He wants you to make that decision to follow Jesus and put him as first and Lord of your life and follow him and embrace him and go on that road to greatness. And then we also have to engage the world and begin to do the call of God in our life. That's a very simple yet an exciting part of this whole thing is that we get to also pick up our cross and follow after Jesus. We don't pick up his cross. His cross was unique. We pick up our cross, which is also unique to us. And, you know, water baptism. Uh, When my father... Uh, a Jewish man came, talked to me one time. He said, I, he said, I, my father, by the way, when I was 12, he disappeared. I, I didn't see him for eight straight years. Had, I didn't see him, didn't know where he lived, didn't know where he was. Uh, my family just basically said, that's good that he's gone. That was how we felt about it. Uh, I grew up in a very, very divided, a very brutal kind of home atmosphere, creative geniuses and musicians, conservatory, symphony people, uh, playing in the symphony and, 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 and creative like that, but just totally demonized. And so when my father left, it, it was sad, but it was also a relief. And it's funny how, you know, many, I'm finding out today how many kids are growing up partying with their parents. I was forced to party with my dad, and it wasn't very fun. But a lot of kids are doing it today because parents don't know how to be parents, so they want to be cool for their kids instead of being a parent for their kids. And let me say something about Brett and the various pastors in this room. These are real pastors. They're not people wanting to dress like you, hang out with you, karaoke like you, uh, be cool with you like you, uh, wear tight jeans like you, be hipster like you. If you have a tattoo, I'll get a tattoo. No, I'm just thankful 
that these are real men and women who want to exemplify who it is to be with Jesus, follow Jesus, and live the rest of our lives for Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about that. My father came to me, and and actually I read a scripture at the end of Malachi chapter 4. It says, I'm going to restore the fathers and the children. And I knew then I had to get on a plane and go find my father. He's in San Francisco and, and, or Oakland, Alameda, uh, California. Found him. We got reconciled. I knew it was the right thing for me to do. I did my part. Two years later, he says, can I come out and visit you? He says, I can't stop thinking about what's happened in your life. I want to know more. And I began to share the gospel and who Jesus is and what he did. And he had some questions. He went back and then he came out six months later. And this time he collapsed on a living room floor of a little apartment and he fell down and he began to just cry and sob and sob and sob and it went on for two hours of him repenting of his sins. People said to me over the years, said, you must have prayed for him a lot. And I have to say, I really did not. <laughs> it's called the grace of God. That's all of our stories. Grace plus nothing equals God and his mercy. So this man, he stood up after two hours of weeping. And I'll tell you, I've never seen this before. I never saw it since. He stood up and he raised his hands and they were shaking after two hours. I was just sitting on the sofa. I might as well have had a bag of popcorn. It was like watching a movie. And, and, and then he, his hands are shaking and then he begins to speak in unknown tongues without any teaching. Don't you love it when God does something outside the box? Do you know why God does things outside the box? Because he's God. Because he's awesome. He's amazing. Here's the last thing I want to say. Um, And that is, if you want to get on the road to greatness, live for the great one. (laughs) Just make him your all in all. Your focus, everything, everything within you, let it, let it just be his. Talk to him daily, just hourly, all the time. Just keep a flowing conversation. All of my best friends understand I have one rule, and that is this. Uh, never say, can we pray together? We just start praying because Jesus is there. Just, we just start praying. Now, now, you don't need to do that at Chili's, you know, in front of the wait, you might want to talk and prepare them for what's to come a little bit, right? Let me close with this verse right here. And, 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 and by the way, that Ethiopian eunuch, and I, I verified this with three of my research buddies, uh, Brian Scott, who went to Duke, Charles Kiefer, who went to UNC, and Reggie Roberson, who went to UNC. And all three of them have confirmed that this Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia and he shared the gospel of Jesus and he took the gospel into a new nation and and then that became the soil where you get these remarkable North African theologians, Augustine, Tertullian, and the list goes on and on and on. He was the guy that did that. So when... The Louis Farrakhan movement says Christianity is the religion of a white man. I got news for you. Christianity in reality is not the religion of just anybody. It's the, it's the faith for everybody. 
And, and Jesus, by the way, was not white in spite of the Renaissance paintings. He had pigment. That's reality. Seriously. When you look through the genealogy of Matthew chapter 1, there's this bloodline to his father, and it has the brothers and the sisters in that bloodline. That's right. So if you really want to know what color he is, if you really want to bring him for dinner, you might as well say, guess who's coming for dinner if you're white? He speckled at least, I'm just saying. But you know, the reality is this. I don't care what color Jesus was in the earth. I don't care if he's got rainbow color. I don't care. I love him. I will bow to him. I will give him my life and I will follow him. Philip, on a dirty, dusty desert road, walks down this road. Look, he left the big party. He left the big opportunity. He left the big job. He left the big promotion. He left all that. And he said, let's just go. And until you've been there, you don't know how painful that is, that separation from popularity and family and friends and all that. We're, gonna, we're just going to just go right to a prayer moment right now because I think it's really time uh, for those of you who need to just take one little step forward just to do that tonight. It's time, just, just one little step forward. For some of you, I just need to just get right with God tonight and, and I, I want to just take a step of faith to begin to be a follower of Jesus For others, it's like, you know what? I heard that on baptism. If that Ethiopian eunuch can bust into this faith, I can bust into this faith too. Jesus loves you. Jesus died on the cross for you. Jesus rose from the grave to the glory of God, but he also rose to tell you, I'm going to raise you up also. And all it is is a simple decision or step of faith just a very simple thing to do say i'm going to take a step forward some of you tonight it's it's your turn to say i want to be water baptized and you're going to have that opportunity tomorrow and i just want to tell you something as i was worshiping tonight god said get ready because tomorrow night there's going to come a deliverance in this house some of you have held on to things for years tonight may not be that night for you but i tell you it could be it might be but tomorrow night something miraculous is going to happen in this building. I hope you're here. You don't want to miss it. Right now, every head bow. Just just bow your heads. Don't take a nap yet, but just bow your heads and just say these words out loud. Just say, Jesus, it's all about you. I got to know you. I got to have you in my life. Let's go on this journey together. I receive you tonight. I want to take another step of repenting of my sins turning from certain things that have hindered me from you. I want to be baptized. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I want to be delivered. I want to be a world changer. And I give myself fully and completely to you. Right now, just let's just take a moment. Just pray to God. Just you can pray. I just say, Lord, just do what you want to do. Do what you want to do in me. Just do what you want to do, Lord. I trust you tonight. I trust you tonight to do something amazing. Let this be a grace moment. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord.